Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with Emily Bleeker. We're talking about When We Were Enemies. That comes out on December 1st. This was such a cool and fun conversation with Emily. I really enjoyed learning about how her own family history um, inspired the story and also kind of like all the fun research that she did um, to bring the story to life and all the fun things that she learned from from her research. But either way, I'll let you guys get to it. Here is Emily Bleeker. Okay, today we've got Emily Bleeker. We're talking about When We Were Enemies. That comes out on December 1st. Um, Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this book. I'm kind of like a sucker for historical fiction. And I just really, I related to Vivian, I think more so than Elise. But I really appreciated getting to know them and the story. And it was like, really, really cool to to read. And I'm glad that we, you know, we could chat about it today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love hearing all of that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So can you give like a little summary of the book so that listeners can follow along with the conversation? Sure. Um, As you kind of mentioned, it's a dual timeline. So um, Elise is our modern day protagonist, and she is about to get married. She is third generation and this, this famed matriline. So her great, her grandmother was famous. Her mother is famous. She, her brothers are famous. She has chosen to step out of the limelight, but there is going to be a documentary made about her grandmother, Vivian Snow, and she's been asked to participate in it. Um, And then the back in time timeline uh, is Vivian Snow's story before she becomes famous when she's working at a POW camp, Um, an Italian POW camp in Indiana and she is, her parents are Italian immigrants and she ends up becoming uh, an interpreter there for the Italian prisoners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really liked, I don't know. I just really, I think I related more to Vivian. I think we can get into it, but I just really liked just her thought process of, um, you know, just being used to like stepping back and not ruffling any feathers and being polite and being a very good daughter and, and filling that role of what was expected of women around that time. Um, but, you know, she was still like dreaming big, right? She still like had these ambitions, but I really liked kind of seeing that side of her where she's giving, like, given like responsibility in this like militaristic environment and where she's still kind of like, you know, wants to stay back, wants to be professional. One thing that stuck out to me was when she, they're kind of like asking her opinion and she kind of like keeps dodging the question a little bit or like just being like, oh, well, my dad says this or, you know, so-and-so says this. And they're like, no, like what you tell me what you think. And where she was like, well, I can see both sides. And I'm just like, oh, poor girl. I feel like, but I feel like that's how I would, (laughs) that's how I tend to be too, where I'm just like, well, I don't like, you know, I'm like very non-confrontational, but I'm, and I'm, I just have a tendency to look at, you know, kind of be maybe a little bit more understanding where I try to be. So during like that, like interchange interaction with her, um, I was like, oh, Vivian, good. Like a a character where I could like, I I totally get you. It's okay. Like hang in there. (laughs) I, I love Vivian. I think I relate to her more too. So I, I definitely, definitely don't feel like, so Elise is a little more high powered. She like knows what she wants in life. And she has made some firm decisions about what she allow in and won't allow into her life. And she has to, because she's in PR, you know, and she's a publicist, but 
but Vivian is just at that, that beginning stage of like, am I actually going to go after what I want? Mm. I worth making, making choices for myself, you know? And I think, I think a lot of women can relate to that. I think that we all kind of ask ourselves that question at some point and be like, am I going to do the thing that everybody wants me to do? Or am I going to reach for what my, my dreams are? And Mm. luckily this is the thing that I loved about this story, but also made it very difficult is that we know as the readers that she ends up being successful. So we're mm-hmm. like, go for it, girl, you yeah. know, because um, we know the ending of it. But, you know, she didn't. She didn't know the end of it. So I found that very compelling to write. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Because, and also, um, yeah, like you said, with Elise, she's just, I, I still admired her, even though I was like, oh, good for her. I probably would not have responded that way. <laughs> right. But I think that just comes with the family line, right? Like just those certain, those certain traits, just cause she's not chasing fame. She's like headstrong. She knows what she needs to do. She's not, she's not stupid. She's pretty intuitive to an extent. And, um, you know, and she, I can't imagine what, what it's like for her to, you know, having grown up with, <laughs> I, just, I love her, her, the situations when her mom was on the page. Cause I'm just like, you know, she was, Obviously, uh, what was it? Grace Lynn was her name, right? Grace Lynn, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, the difficulty of, of, uh, growing up with that, just in that type of environment of, um, you know, fame. And she's just used to all of it, but also at the same time, she's just like picking up on those cues and, and she's picking her battles. <laughs> she's like, okay, like, right. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, just taking it to that deeper level. Yeah, I so I I don't I am definitely not uh, a film star of any sort, but I perform on stage every week with an improv group. And oh, okay. I think the thing that like so we have two performances every week. And the thing that um, kind of struck me after a while was like, this is a job like this is cool and fun. But it also is part of my daily life. And like we go backstage and we're not necessarily talking about the running order or about what we're going to do next. We're like, oh, hey, how was your weekend? You know, Mm -hmm. and so that kind of has been interesting to me, like how these kinds of careers and we see it with writing. I'm sure you've seen it in your life as well. Like people make assumptions about careers that are a little more uh, in the public domain. And, um, without seeing the, the backstory to it all. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that you do improv. I, two of my like college, like we're best friends, but like, um, I've known them since like college. I'll date myself. I don't care. So for about like maybe 15 years, but they're like family. They were like my bridesmaids at my wedding and everything. But, um, yeah, but they all, I think they're whole, that whole family, but there's like a, a set of twins. And I'm like, I swear that we're going to, I'm going to see their names in light someday. Cause they do, um, and it's, they do improv too. They're part of us, a, a number of groups in Chicago at like, uh, oh, yeah, like Chicago. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm in Lombard. So like by oh. Oak Brook. Yeah. I mean, Lake, so north north okay so not yeah, in it, chicago but we're in chicago <laughs> yeah that's yeah it's pretty out there but it's like i think um yeah my aunt i have an aunt who lives in like wakanda area oh okay yeah that's a yeah. little west here 
Yeah. So no, I'm familiar and it's like, it's a far drive, but it's still, it's nice out there, you know, from what I've yeah. seen. Yeah. It's nice. And like, I don't know, it's got like a different vibe. Like <laughs> it is, they say it's like they, they built it to be a small town, but so they only have like, um, like one lane each way driving, yeah. but then everybody moved out this way. So it's just crowded all the time. Yeah. <laughs> now they're like, never mind, we're going to redo all the roads. <laughs> so yeah, right. But it, it, you know, it's not that far. So my husband actually performs in the city. So he's an okay. improviser at improvising. So I improvise in Libertyville, but he goes into the city. So it's about an hour, but like two hours of traffic. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. I know. But, um, but yeah, I think so. I've been to their uh, a handful of their shows when That's when great. I can go. Yeah, because I'm just like I'm just gonna support them no matter what. But it's right. really funny how I always comment to them like I don't know how you guys can do some of the funniest shit in the world and keep a straight face <laughs> and like keep it going and just like really like own the character. And and my one of my friends, I remember some of the comment like she's like, you can't be afraid to just look stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. You just have to like look like a dork and 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 just get into it and commit and and take it from there. And I was like, oh god, that makes so much sense. It is. It is just kind of tossing yourself out there and just letting go and and knowing that something that really helped me was like knowing that the audience is going to think because they are not up there doing it and they it's not their thing that they're doing. Like even if you're doing something that's stupid, they still are going to respect that you're doing something yeah. stupid. <laughs> so that, that helps too. Um, but yeah, actually, I feel like improv is just, you know, it's just writing just live on stage. Yeah. So, Which I mean, isn't intimidating improv- at all, you know. <laughs> it, it is. I actually prefer writing because you can edit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that's a lot easier, but it, it's, it has helped me in that way of like, really like both of, they help each other. Like I get into my head better now, I feel like, because I've been on stage getting into so many different characters. Cause you have to do different ones, like constantly mm-hmm. depending one hour show, which we do two one hour shows, you know, you might be doing 10 different characters. So yeah, that sounds pretty intimidating, but also I imagine like the more you practice, the better, like it doesn't get easier, but you just get better at it. You know, yeah. like you just. Yeah. Well, people always ask because we have rehearsals every week and everybody's like, why do you rehearse? It's improv. I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> a lot you have to practice and learn. And I am, I'm fairly, I'm only like four or five years into improvising. Like my husband's like 25 years into improvising. Oh, okay. So <laughs> kind of like a newbie in a lot of ways, but you know, I'm glad I jumped out there from behind the screen to onto the stage. Cause it really has been fulfilling. Yeah. What, um, what made you kind of get into that? Was it your husband and like kind of seeing him work or what? No, he and I just got married. We just got married a few months ago. So like oh, we okay. met. Okay, congrats. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of a long story, but I did a lot of theater in high school and I really, really enjoyed theater. But then I, this will kind of give you a peek into the head of Vivian Snow a little bit too, because um, I got married at 19. It was six days after I turned 19 and I auditioned for As You Like It and I got the lead. And I was like, ooh, is that college? And, but then I went home. I think I had been to like two rehearsals and I went home and my mother-in-law told me, um, you're a wife now. You need to be home 
make your husband dinner. And I ended up quitting that show. And I didn't do another show until uh, I was in my 30s. And that was when I started taking improv classes. So I made some goals for my 30s. And one of them was to write a book. So that was why I wrote my first book. And another one was to get back on stage. So that's kind of why I got back on stage at that time, too. So nice. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, it's a shame that, uh, you know, some of the older generations were were still voicing their opinion. <laughs> strong, strong opinions. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm glad that it's kind of, you know, we're getting a little more flexible with that. But I just yeah, I remember the same. It wasn't my mother in law who said it. it was like my husband, but he was we we're dating at the time. I think we were like only a couple years in and he, you know, I was in college when we met and I'm, he's like, oh, well, you know, if we get married, if we have kids, I'd hope that, you know, you would stay home with the kids. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I just told him straight up because I'm like, I'm not going to, to school, like, you know, these years of school to like sit at home with my brats, you know? And at the time I didn't really, I didn't find the idea of children all that or being coming a mother, I should say all that appealing. So it wasn't even like in in the, my path of what I perceived my trajectory would be and you know because he because she was a stay-at-home mom and so he was used to that and I was like I grew up with like two working parents so I just didn't really consider it was just normal to me and so um but now now I know he's glad that I work so it's like you know <laughs> it's like that second income is kind of like helpful you know it like comes in handy yeah. Teacher before I had kids, but then I was a stay at home mom. So I was a stay at home mom, but I always had some business. Like I would, I make quilts, I tutored, I ran a preschool out of my home. Like I was always doing like these little side things before I became a writer, you know? And then thankfully, this is my full time job now, but it was definitely my sister, though. She's always been like, I don't, I'm not made to be a stay at home mom. And she's like, I'm just not going to be. And I, I totally respect her for that. Like, absolutely respect her for knowing what worked for her. And by the way, both are so hard, yeah. like so hard mixing and anything else. It's like, yeah. Ooh, this it's exhausting. Is a- like there's yeah. nothing that you can really prepare you for. And it's also, you know, you just eat shit every day. It's like- <laughs> That is literally it. It is every day, no matter what. Yeah, you just kind of, that's why half the time I'm like, I don't even like my son, my toddler, like I have two, uh, six and then be three in a couple months. But yeah, my toddler, he'll just be outside like playing with dirt. And I'm like, you know what? It's occupying him and he's quiet and he's not like bothering yep. me right now. Like if, cause I work from home and so like, okay, I'll take my computer out, my laptop out. And if he wants to go outside, he'll, he'll play there. Like, right as rain he's totally be totally content i'm like i don't care that you're getting all dirty like this is fine like <laughs> yeah, I, I i think working from home is so hard like so hard so and especially with a three-year-old and a six-year-old so mine are a little older i have four but they're a little older but oh, wow, yeah a, a lot older actually <laughs> like you would think would be fully responsible for themselves they're getting there they're getting yeah. there. Right. <laughs> I know. I'm just like waiting for the next level, you know, of where I don't have to worry so much about them, like, you know, ruining the house if if yeah. we're in bed or whatever, you know, things like that. Just those little things. Like, I don't have to worry about sleeping in a little bit. Like, I they'll be fine because they wake up so early and I'm like, no. <laughs> 
Yeah, I had two that got up at 5 a.m. no matter what I did. So I totally get that. You deserve a medal. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, just one day at a time. Just no matter what, just one day at a time. So <laughs> Yeah, you know, you just get different worries when they get older. Like, but it is a little more like um, you can put yourself first a little bit more without feeling like they're going to die, you know? So yeah. Like, or that they're going to destroy the house or, you know, or they're going to yeah kill you all in your sleep bike. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. Um, so back to what we're talking about today. That's all right. Otherwise we'll just ramble on about everything. <laughs> so we talked about your background a little bit. Can you talk about kind of like, just kind of piggyback on piggybacking on that. Can you talk about how, um, cause you got a, a handful of works published. So what led you to tell, uh, this story when we were enemies and then kind of did this experience differ much from your previous titles that you released and, and things like that? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think this is number seven, but this, this one was in, it's a little different because it has a lot more historical elements in it than my previous titles. I, uh, the one before this has some historical elements, but this one is, you know, halfway back in time. So I think it was inspired because my dad once mentioned that my grandma worked at a POW camp and I'm, what is that? Like, I had no idea those even existed. And in fact, I thought like maybe he was mistaken or, you know, and then I started doing some research and found out that there were POWs that lived here and were kept here during World War II and that there were Italian prisoners and that there were German prisoners. And my grandmother worked at an Italian POW camp. She did not speak Italian, but she actually had a very close friendship with an Italian priest who was in that camp. And he continued to send her drawings and postcards for the rest of his life. So just like they didn't speak the same language and I guess he didn't speak English very well. So it was just kind of like this like pen pal type thing. But um, that's kind of what got my mind going on it where I was like, this is fascinating like I first of all didn't know this existed second of all okay grandma yeah <laughs> I'm priest, eh? and um <laughs> so yeah it just kind of so it wasn't really I think I'm always inspired by something in life I mean I guess I, that makes sense but like my the book before this one was my great aunt. And so like it was inspired by an experience with her and this one about my grandma, but this one differs because it is a story I made up all the way, you know? So besides the historical elements Mm -hmm. uh, where the other one was really based on a true story. So that's really cool. I love that. How fascinating is it to learn more about just even your parents. And then you learn about like your grandparents or whatever. Cause like where you, I think that just the older that, or at least for me, the older I get, the more I'm like, Oh, like what, what did my parents do? What was their life like when they yes. were, you know, fit 40 years ago, for example. And like, what were they going through? And you know, what haven't they told me, you know, <laughs> and like yeah. what are they choosing to keep from me? Or yeah, just example, you know, and unfortunately kind of like Elise, like my grandparents are no longer in the picture, but I'm thinking like, oh man, just to like have one conversation with them to just really pick right. their brains. Cause I wasn't, I just, I, you know, I didn't appreciate all, you know, to an extent, like the time I didn't realize like, 
you know, how significant, um, just like that, that collective information or experience that they have that they could share with the world, just they could share with us if they wanted to. And, um, yeah, that's so cool. That's so fascinating. That's funny that your grandma, like, you know, just, she inspired Vivian and, and, you know, had a little friendship with the priests. I love that. Even though there was like a language barrier, but they still like found a way to, to, you know, have some sort of companionship. Yeah. My grandma was kind of a babe. Like she, and she, <laughs> She had this gracefulness about her and every man fell in love with her, like literally for her whole life. Like even after my grandpa had passed away and she was like in the retirement home, she always had like a line of men following. Oh my God. <laughs> so I to bottle that you'd be a millionaire, but she definitely had that about her, but she was like this lovely, sweet woman and just captured the hearts of at least dozens of Southern men. So. <laughs> it's like, dang, grandma, you still got it. <laughs> She's passed on, but she lived with us when I was uh, for like a year and a half when I was a teenager and um, she couldn't make it up and down the stairs. And I don't think my mom could help her. And so I became responsible for like helping her up and down the stairs for like bathing her. Like I remember I once was helping her take a bath and she was like, oh, honey, I'm not shy. And then she just looked <laughs> close and was like, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> this prim and proper Southern lady was just like, whoop, I'm naked. <laughs> so, <laughs> thing. We recorded some conversations with her and she, she, she left behind some really interesting insights and, and like this little window into the past with her. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's like what, what also is more fascinating. Cause even then I'm like looking at history and I'm paying more attention to like the dates and I'm like, Oh, this is in my parents' lifetime. Cause they were like both born in the fifties. And I'm like, Oh wait, <laughs> it's like something silly is like, I think we were watching the movie Elvis and, and he like died in the sixties or something like that. And I was like, Oh my God, my mom, my parents were alive when Elvis died. Just like, <laughs> something like that where I was said to be like such a dork, just realizing it. Like I was today years old when I realized, but you know, my son, my seven, he's 17, my second oldest. Um, he actually said to me the other day, he's like, you know, what's really cool is I just realized you're an actual human. He's like, you have like feelings and emotions. You're like a person. And I'm like, well, number one, I think you're learning that earlier than most people do. I think it takes a while for people to really learn that usually till so, they have kids of their own. I'm like, but yeah, I'm also a human. Thank you. for. <laughs> that's so true. I know it's like, yeah, once you become a parent, that's so true. Like, cause I imagine I'm thinking I want my 17 year old self. Yeah. I just saw my parents as like this, uh, you know, this like bar- barrier or this, like, you know, my parents, but I saw them as like, okay, I got to hide this from them or get, like, you know, right. where, where it's like what what's happening at school or with your friends, which is much more important than whatever they had going on. And so that's really impressive that your son uh, is even saying that to you also. <laughs> yeah. We're deep. I'm like, well, I'm glad. I don't know. I didn't that to you but i'm glad you realized it already he's like this was a pivotal moment in my life i'm like you're seven (laughs) moment in my life yet but okay (laughs) yeah no definitely because once i um yeah once i became a mom it took me a little bit i was like 
it's it's like you understand your parents more and then you kind of like understand even with my own parenting style i'm like oh i probably get that from them or it's because i've you know i i just grow up and i didn't see a problem with the way that they handled these types of things or with the like or it's more of an explanation right like right my like for example my family my parents we didn't like go camping together and so i just never you know but now my husband he's like they they did it they were like he's he was an eagle scout so he's got a whole system he knows what to do he knows what's going you know and he he's, he's been all there the got all of them up here yeah <laughs> exactly and so i was like okay and so yeah it's just it's more of an exclamation that's explanation that's just an example of where like oh it makes sense that i just you know this is how my parents are so it, it makes sense that i kind of turned out a certain way or like just explaining just certain things like it kind of like you know in the in the zone about it and it's 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 fascinating so okay so with the research part of it so you mentioned that you don't really do historical what do you kind of stick with do you stick with like a women's fiction what would you call it i think they call it book club fiction now kind of it's usually i say contemporary fiction but i can't say that anymore because this book and then my next book actually are both historical so um fiction i don't know i kind of probably to the discontent of my editors i like i really like being inspired by something and going with it which thankfully they've given me flexibility with thus far you know um i'm gonna try sci-fi next and see what they say we'll just see cross our fingers no i'm kidding i I don't think (laughs) i was gonna say like no go for it (laughs) i might but i don't know that this publisher would take it but but yeah so it 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 is it they're women's fiction contemporary fiction stories some of them have like uh elements of suspense to them you know so like not totally thriller though i've never gone all the way thriller just yet i don't know that i will (laughs) it takes yeah they're they're tricky i mean i really enjoy thriller too but i think it's just because it like gets me it gets me hooked it like keeps me where like where i'm like okay i want to know let's figure this out (laughs) right right exactly and i love those elements i love the tension of stories and i love when you're editing figuring out how to keep that tension i once taught a class on tension and i got i went to the local college and i got a a tug of war rope and i had in the class they were like there were like 50 people in the class and I had them go on each side, but I told one side that when I told them to let go, that I would like give them a signal and they should just let go. And so they were tugging and I did not expect that people would take it so seriously on the other side. So when they let go, they made everybody wipe out. And like literally someone had a gash on their arm. I was worried I was going to get sued, but that was a good <laughs> visual, I guess, and physical example of how important tension is (laughs) was that the first and last time you've done that as an activity never will i ever again not without release forms at least i think yeah like signing a waiver like you agree not to you know come at me (laughs) sign this i'm like just sign it (laughs) (laughs) oh that's amazing i love that um so did you, oh, yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on that, like, with the, the your approach to, like, the histor- historical elements or, or ones that kind of, like, you know, are geared towards uh, more historical fiction. How does your research process go, like, you know, and then maybe kind of, 
I'd be interested to learn, like, if you noticed, if you learned anything like super fascinating while you were researching. Yeah, I, well, first of all, I have a minor in history. I'm so, so, I mean, like, it's obviously not my main focus, but it is something that's always, I found very interesting and I just love diving into. So already it was an interest of mine. I love going to like old places and I've always loved going anywhere like antique stores and just imagining right like so I think that's kind of like where this little bit of a spark came from um and then um the internet's great and I love digging into and finding out more about things so it really kind of started there but then I went further and I just I started getting as many books as I could about uh POW camps and um, I really, there was a woman who made a whole, um, documentary about like marriages that happened from the POW camps. And I found that very, very interesting. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go and visit Camp Atterbury and, um, actually take a, like a tour there, go through their museum, go and um, visit the chapel. So, and I think that was the most interesting. I found out in the the process where the was the the chapel that was built by the soldiers. You know that they uh, and by the way, another thing was the Geneva Convention and how like very specific it was and how. Uh, our country, I think, failed in so many ways of taking care of like having these internment camps where they put, you know, Japanese Americans and treated them terribly. And then they had these POW camps where they treated the prisoners very, very well. And kind of like seeing that comparison kind of blew my mind, you know, like there, there was really, really a strong focus on really holding to those to those agreed terms for prisoners. And part of that was the ability to practice your religion freely. And so that now there are three, I think, in the US um, of still remaining of these chapels that were built by Italian prisoners. And um, this one is, I think, the only one that's been like refinished. So it was really interesting to go and to be able to visit and to see it was all made by hand. It's tiny, teeny tiny, maybe the size of like a bathroom, you know, Um but to see like the the attention to detail that was put into the chapel and to know that like they used just found objects to create it. And, you know, it really was a passion project that they put together. So, so I think that was very interesting. And then also I found it very interesting um, what happened to the Italian prisoners after Italy switched sides. Like that was really, really interesting to me that, you know, the war, they technically were now our allies, but they were not free to go, you know? So they had a choice of either joining the army, the American army and be, you know, being in a service unit, or they had the choice to stay in prison. And then they were sent to Texas where um, there was this big POW camp where all of the most extreme like leaders from the German prisoners were, and then anybody who decided that they wanted to remain loyal to fascism was sent from, from Italy. So. Oh, wow. Oh, that's crazy. I think I did have kind of, I was kind of familiar with that in like the Geneva convention, but yeah, I didn't know how like specific it was. And when it's 
you know, <laughs> there's, I, I didn't get the impression that there's like very little, um, oversight, but you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, they, the prisoners had to advocate for themselves, you know, and they're kind of like in a tricky situation where it's like, or is anybody even going to listen to us? And it's like, well, no, <laughs> when, uh, Trumbello, when he was reciting the, the exact like articles or whatever, the sections of, uh, referring to, to the paperwork, he was like, they're like, oh, damn it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. And it really was, it was set up like they governed themselves. And in fact, they were wearing for a lot of times, even the German soldiers were wearing their actual uniforms. Like it was so interesting how everyone was treated almost with respect. You know, these, these enemy combatant combatants and like really, and it was very controversial. It was very controversial at the time, as you see in the book. It was controversial whether we should be putting all of these resources towards this, whether we should be supporting our enemies in this way. Like, and it's it's a fascinating debate. Like, it was a fascinating debate at the time. And like I said, the dichotomy between how the prisoners were treated and then our own, like, U.S. citizens were treated is kind of mind-blowing. It's kind of, yeah. I, mean, I feel like maybe it's not talked about as much. So I appreciated, like, that you tapped into that with uh, Vivian's side of the story. Cause I think that's probably where it was that scene where she was like, well, I can see it both ways. And I was like, I could see myself saying that exact thing. Cause it's like, well, yeah, this sucks. But what, what about our guys that are being held captive there? Like, how can we ensure that they're being treated fairly kind of thing? Right. Yeah. And it was best if you think about it, like, it was so close to World War One and so close to when they made these agreements that they're like, well, we're going to do our part. They better do their part, too. So this is a two part question. What were the most challenging parts to write and then the most uh, enjoyable parts to write? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most challenging parts are definitely the factual parts, you know, like. I have a method that I know other authors have too, where whenever I'm not sure about something, I just put in a placeholder. I just put in QQQ whenever I don't know. And then I go back and I do the research, you know, after I write as much of the actual action and emotion and everything, it makes it a little bit easier. There are some things you have to know ahead of time, obviously, but so I think that's always the hardest for me. There is a, there are trigger warnings, some moments of domestic violence. Those are never easy to write. Those are definitely delicate and layered and um, and difficult. So, so I think those were the hardest things. Uh, religion, uh, I am not Catholic. So I did send the book out to a couple of people of my friends who are Catholic. My husband is Catholic. So I definitely wanted to make sure to be respectful as well as still look into the idea of religion and to have those priestly love stories going on as well, because those are fun. Mm So those I would say are the hardest things. I think the fun things are, I mean, I I love a good love story. (laughs) Um, I really loved writing Vivian on stage. Like that was fun. That was really, really fun writing about her performing, learning more about the USO and learning about what they did at that time and really how amazing so many people were stepping up in such difficult times. So so that was really, really fun to to write that and to write about what that must have felt like. I don't actually know, but 
Well, I think you kind of like were able to have your own experience using your own experience on stage to kind of tap into that, um, you know, that vibe. I just, I loved Vivian for like, well, no, I'm Vivian Snow now and I'm not Vivian Snow's not late. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I loved exploring that too. Like this, where she's like, this part of me isn't like this, but I can act like this. I can pretend this is who I am. And then maybe I'll become this type of person. It like fake it till you make it right. And I'm like, yeah. and nobody, you know, you know, it's just fake confidence. I've learned this, like just, just from in my career, like, you know, just have faith in yourself that there are things that, you know, and even if you're like nervous about, um, you know, being that go-to person, it's like, you still know more than everybody else about it. Like, cause I do marketing. And so it's like, well, yeah, do I know enough? Do I, is there something I'm missing? But it's like, well, no, I, I still know more than that's like, that's why they hired me. Right. So it's like, I still know more than everybody else. And that's just kind of like that, that you, I take that to like carry that with me and, and help propel me. Cause it's like, well, yeah, I'm not, no, and deep inside, like I'm definitely, I, there's self doubt, um, right. you know, and all that. But at, at the end of the day, it's like, no, it's, it's more beneficial if you just, if you just act like you're not feeling that. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I think we all, I think actually self-doubt is important. Like, I think that that sounds weird. <laughs> that is, does not sound like, um, like the most like a uh, self-helpy type thing to say, <laughs> but, but I do think that the best like of anything that I find the best writer, best actor, best, whatever, um, is someone who has a healthy amount of self-doubt because otherwise like you're blind, like you're blind to getting better. You're blind to keeping yourself in check. You're, you're blind to those things. And then, then there is no improvement. Then you're just, it's just stasis, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Cause it's like, you don't, yeah, you don't have that like break in your, you know, in your thought process or in like how, how you approach things. Like there's no, consideration for like, well, is this the best way? Or is there something else I'm missing? Can I be doing this better? Is a way to do this better next time? So no, you're that's a hundred percent right. I think, you know, it's I love that word was healthy. It could be healthy, healthy sense of self-doubt. <laughs> I, I think it's the upside doubt is what I always say is that's that's the good side. Like when I was a teenager, I used to go repelling and I I was supposed to be climbing up to go back up to the top and I got halfway up and someone at the bottom was, I got stuck and someone at the bottom was like, turn around and come down. And I tried to turn around to come down and I fell 30 feet. Oh. And um, yeah, I, I was pretty lucky that I survived it. But what I realized is then after that, I got the next year I went repelling again and I got back out there but gosh darn it, I was careful. <laughs> I was much more careful when I went back up on the way that I went back up because I knew I could fall, you know? And so like, I, it didn't cripple me and make me be like, I'm never going to do this again. But it for sure made me be like, I should probably make sure I'm doing it the right way next yeah. time. Oh, Like I am, I'm not going to put my foot there next time or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> Learned from it. Didn't yeah, kill absolutely. me a lesson, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly looking at the bright side <laughs> um so what this is going to be a fun one <laughs> so what advice would you give to vivian and what advice would you give to elise so here's the thing is vivian snow her story her fame story is what i'm writing right now and so 
um, it's her whole rest of her story. And so like, I have so much advice, advice for Vivian, because like, I'm literally a chapter away from finishing her story right now. And I don't want to give away too much. But I think I think my advice for Vivian is to stop, uh, stop living for everybody else. And to stop being so afraid, you know, like she lives in guilt, and she lives in shame a lot. So um, that would be my advice for Vivian. And my advice for Elise is pretty similar, but I, I don't know. I feel like Elise, I respect a lot. Like there's a lot about Elise that I'm like, hashtag goals, like especially where she ends up at the end where she's like, you know, she knows what she values and what she wants. So um, I think that it's for Elise, it's more so um, she's just got to keep moving forward, you know? Like, just keep going. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Cause I, I kind of, I'm kind of with you there. Um, with Elise, it's, she's not, maybe she was afraid, but she wasn't, she wasn't afraid to like take that leap, right? Like, she knew she had to, she knew what she had to do and she did it. And maybe, I guess maybe she was like, I mean, obviously there was a, you know, her inner right. turmoil and like that she was kind right. of at war with herself, but like, you know, it's, I think, at the end of the day, she, she was just like, no, I'm just, I got to do it this way type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciated that about her. And as messed up as her relationship is with her mother, I do think having these strong female figures in her life taught her that, you know, like, and taught her that she could make those decisions. And I think she was warring more with herself than she was with like what her family would think about her, you know, and Vivian mm-hmm. is the Vivian was like, what is everybody going to think about me, including God, you know, like yeah. she, she's like, everybody's opinion is more important than my own. And, you know, and hopefully she finds her way out of that. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's yeah. It's funny how you, you know, you added the, this is the parallel storylines with the with the priests with the hot priests like <laughs> like that forbidden fruit you know <laughs> yeah i really also another theme that i really felt drawn to was this idea of like her finding like men that were non I guess toxic would be the word we'd say nowadays, but how she was like, Oh, there are men out there who are not angry all the time, who are not scary, like men who I respect and who I want to have in my life. And I, I think that that was an interesting angle for me as well to, to look at um, and to, to kind of explore along with Vivian. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what do you hope readers get out of this story? Oh, um, I think really it is to be yourself. Like it, that sounds easy, but like that is the kind of a theme is just like fully be yourself. And, um, I, I know Vivian's arc is a little different because we leave her just as she is becoming somebody else. You know, she is becoming Vivian Snow in that moment, but I still think that she's leaning into herself in a certain way. But, um, I think Elise is a good example of that too. And and that like, you don't have to give everything up. I don't know how to say this right for your family. Like you, your family's important, and you love them and you do sacrifice for them, but they don't, you don't get to be their sacrifice. You're not their 
Jesus, you know, like you don't have to die for them. Um, you can be there, you can support them, you can love them, but you don't have to, to die for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I get it. Yeah. It's like, you could like be your own person. You don't have to, you know, just be under that umbrella of like that family tree yeah. all the time. You have permission to, you know, become like a dotted line attached to that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like this is not the altar you must throw yourself upon, you know, like you get to be who you are, make your choices. And that doesn't mean you are a bad daughter, a bad person, a bad sister, whatever, you know, like it's important that you can have hold both, both of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So kind of piggybacking on what you were talking about, that's your next book with Vivian Snow's story because I was going to ask you what's next what are you working on that you could talk about so um it it has been official for a while so like I can talk about it but we haven't made the big big announcement yet but we will by the time the book comes out so yes it um I'm not sure what the official title is going to be but the working title is when when we dared to dream so this is when we are enemies then when we dared to dream and I uh I love this story. It's torturing me slightly, but it it goes back to the postcards that Trombello sent to to Vivian and um they're being auctioned off in modern times, but all you see is the postcard and then you get to flash back to that moment in time in Vivian's life and see what was going on in her life and in her progression and get some of those bits that were told or hinted at throughout when we were enemies it is it can be a standalone you can read it without reading when you when we were enemies and vice versa but they are companion pieces that work really well together i love that i always find it interesting when authors uh decide to kind of create another title uh, create another story within like the same universe as one of their works because i feel like that's, you know, that's what the readers, we just eat that shit up. We're like, oh, yes. Like, <laughs> I know, it's my first time. I've never done it. I get, I literally got an email two days ago from my second title, which is like seven years old. Someone being like, I just read when I'm gone. Is there a sequel? And I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that. And I've never written a sequel ever. And so this time I was like, I'm gonna like her story to me when I got to the end of that book, I'm like, Oh, I love what happened within the context of the story. But this was Elise's story. You know, when it comes down to it, this was Elise's story. I want to tell Vivian's story, you know, and I was so glad that my editor was like, I would like you to tell that too. (laughs) Oh, yay. Yes. (laughs) Nice. Oh, I'm excited for that as well. But yeah, so Emily Bleeker, where can we find you online and on social media? Almost everywhere. I'm just Emily Bleeker or Emily Bleeker author. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I don't know if you want to hear me talk anymore, but uh, (laughs) a little bit more. I am also on TikTok. (laughs) All of the interesting places, you know, emilybleeker.com, those kinds of things. Perfect. And then you'll, they could probably find you all the links on your website, right? To like where to follow you and stuff. Yep. 
Perfect. Okay. Um, so when we were enemies, that comes out on December 1st. Emily Bleeker, thanks so much. This was such a fun conversation. And um, I'm waiting, I'm eager and waiting for Vivian's story. And um free feel free to to come back and we could chat, we could chat about it some more. Thank you. you. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And there you go. That was Emily Bleeker talking about her book, When We Were Enemies, that comes out on December 1st. Um, go ahead and check out the show notes for links on where to buy the book and where to find her on social media and online. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, The Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club. Um, if you do need some new book recommendations in your life, go ahead and check out my book reviews on thenerdcantina.com. And if you have a book that you like, go ahead and hop on over to Goodreads and Amazon and give them a rating. It really does help the authors out. And also pre-orders really, really do help them out too. So go ahead and pre-order the books as well. Um, but as always, thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs>